Would you take your copy of God's Word, if you have your Bible with you, take it and turn with me to the little book of Jude. It's next to the last book in the Bible. It's a a very short book, but it packs a powerful warning for us. It's It's a warning for us to pay attention to. And in our study so far in the book of Jude, we've seen the warning to be on guard against false teachers false teachers that can slip into the church, that is, uh, the church that is not prepared for the danger that Jude points to here, not prepared and on guard against false teaching. This was obviously a danger in Jude's day, and just in case it's not obvious to you, I'm here to remind you that this is still a danger in our day. False teachers abound. False teaching is, is much easier to find than biblical teaching, unfortunately. It's troubling to think of false teachers slipping into the church, attempting to lead people astray, but it's a needful conversation that Jude forces us to have. Last week in verses 5-7, through seven, Jude used three examples from history. Three examples from God's word, from history, to show how God judges those who reject the truth. And that's a sobering reminder that God's just and righteous judgment is coming on those who reject the truth. May it not be true for us. Let us believe God's word. Let us obey God's word. Today we're looking at verses 8 through 13 where Jude describes what the false teachers were like. And we're going to see in the description, it comes in two parts. In verses 8 through 10, we're going to see the corrupt communication of false teachers described. And in verses 11 through 13, we're going to see the corrupt character of false teachers described. And this is supposed to be helpful for us. This will be helpful for us if we pay attention to it, because this helps us recognize false teaching in our day. Those who propagate false teaching can often be recognized by their corrupt communication and corrupt character. So says God's Word. So follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 8 through 13. And I am reading from the English Standard Version, Jude, verse 8. Yet in like manner, pointing back to what we've already seen in verses 1 through 7, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, 
fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I said it last week after reading the passage that we looked at last week, sobering passage. It's still sobering, isn't it? Very serious here. So first, let's consider the corrupt communication of false teachers. In verse 8, Jude begins by saying, yet in like manner, or as the NIV translates the same phrase, in the very same way. And what he's talking about, he's connecting the false teachers who would mislead the church. He's connecting those false leaders, false teachers, to the examples he's given. We looked at them last week in verses 5 through 7. And he says here in verse 9, just like that, they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, the three examples we saw last week from verses 5 through 7 were the Israelites. Remember their disbelief, even, even all that they saw in the miraculous working of God all around them, they disbelieved. Many of them disbelieved and were judged by God. The fallen angels who rejected God's truth and Sodom and Gomorrah who rejected God's truth. They all rebelled against God in unbelief. They didn't want to be held accountable to God. Do you know people like that? I, I don't care what God says, or I don't care what the Bible says, or that's just an old book. They didn't want to be held accountable to God's righteous standard of conduct. Their rebellion was rooted in their unbelief. The most serious sin of all is the one of unbelief. If you will believe, God comes along and makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus and helps you deal with all the other sins. But in the end, even in their rejection, they didn't want to be told what to do by God or judged by God. They didn't want to be held accountable by God. Sadly, they were held about accountable by God. Whether they wanted to or not, they were held accountable by God. The Israelites, the fallen angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder if you understand this. Do you understand that all authority, all authority comes from God? you realize that? God gives authority, you can think of it this way, God gives authority to parents in the home. God gives authority to those parents in the home over their children. God also gives men authority in the home to lead their families in a way that honors the Lord as Christ died for the church. So the, so the man in the family is to lead his family sacrificially and lovingly. Government leaders are also given authority by God. You realize that our government gets their authority from God? Uh, much of our government doesn't realize that, but God, uh, God, uh, God's mind will not be changed on this. Uh, leaders in the church are also granted authority by God. And we're to follow our leaders. In each case, 
with the authority comes a great deal of accountability, a great burden. There is a great accountability that's put on each each person that's given authority, each role that's given authority. Those who serve in a role of authority are accountable to God as to whether you lead in a Christ-like and godly fashion. But look again at verse 8, where we see that these false teachers reject God's authority in their lives. They are rebellious. Verse 8 says, Yet in like manner, or in the very same way, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. What's the problem of these false teachers. It's the same thing we hear it elsewhere in the scriptures. It's the same thing that Isaiah 65 and verse 2 describes as the cause for rebellion. What's the cause for rebellion? Isaiah 65 and verse 2. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. How do they get there? The rest of the verse says, following their own devices. I think uh, in the men's Sunday school this morning, Eric mentioned it. Uh, the world around us says, follow your heart. <laughs> or, or, or they may even say, follow your conscience. And Eric said it this morning, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. Uh, follow your conscience is very good advice if, if your conscience is being formed by God's word, by God's authority. You must have a conscience that is formed by God's word, God's truth, the truth of God's word, and God's authority in your life. What happens when we follow our own devices? We walk in a way that is not good, says Isaiah 65 too. We become a rebellious people. This is how you can recognize a false teacher. They are themselves rebellious, against God's word. They may use some of God's word, but they don't hold to God's word. They don't hold fast to it. And they don't fully believe in it. And they would lead others to be rebellious against God's word also. That's the false teachers we're being warned to be on guard against here in Jude. They follow their own devices, it says. They do their own thing. They refuse to be accountable to God. And verse 8 says they do this relying on their dreams. You ever have a dream and you get up and you discover, wait, that wasn't real. That didn't really happen. Be careful about following your dreams <laughs> and being led by your dreams, relying on your dreams. That's what false teachers are like. They're dreamers who are deluded they follow the flesh. They follow their own desires, their own devices, driven by delusions instead of God, by God's truth. We must, listen church, we must be centered on the truth of God's word. We must be led by the Bible. We have nothing else to go by. And false teachers reject God's authority in their lives, which leads them into corrupt conversation in the form of slander or verbal abuse. You can see it here. Jude says they blaspheme the glorious ones. 
And he goes on to describe in verse 9 how even the archangel Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Listen to that. That reminds me of something that I think should give us caution. It's when I hear people say they rebuke the devil in their life. I just rebuke the devil. Uh, No, you don't. Uh, Don't do that. The Lord's job is to rebuke the devil. You go to God's word. You trust God. You go to the Lord in prayer. If you have ever anything to say to the devil, it's the Lord rebuke you. Be careful here. That's not your job. That's God's job. Warren Wiersbe says this about this statement in verse 9. Michael did not rebuke Satan, but left that to the Lord. The archangel Michael It is a dangerous thing for God's people to confront Satan directly and to argue with him because he is much stronger than we are. If an archangel is careful about the way he deals with the devil, how much more cautious ought we to be? While it is true that we share in the victory of Christ, it is also true that we must not be presumptuous. Satan is a dangerous enemy, and when we resist him, we must be sober and vigilant. We go to the Lord in prayer. We go to God's word for wisdom. We resist the devil by following God. And the Lord strengthens us to resist the devil's schemes. Now, let's consider what more evidence is given here of the corrupt conversation of the false teachers. Look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says, They blaspheme all that they do not understand. That's... A characteristic of false teachers that we could easily participate in if we're not careful. It's so easy for us, isn't it? Think about your own life and think about uh, when you uh, are dealing with difficult situations. It's so easy for us to speak poorly of people we hardly know anything about. False teachers blaspheme all that they do not understand. How we talk shows us for who we are inside, what our hearts are like. And we need to have hearts that are, that are led by and conform to God's Word. And if they are, we're going to be careful about blaspheming things we don't understand. We need to be careful about how we speak about people. We very, we very often don't know the whole story of what's going on in someone's life. And so we should be cautious about that and how we speak about people as as just an example from the text here. And what these false teachers are is shown in their corrupt conversation. Their speech is slanderous and abusive. That is not how God's people are to speak. That's not how God's people are to behave. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You need to hear that. That's to be God's people. Paul also taught Timothy to set a good example with his speech. Listen to how he teaches Timothy how to lead the church. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. He begins with that, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Set an example. That's that's our job, to set an example of Christ-likeness. 
We're far from perfect. I think we'd all admit that. But we have God's Word to help us, His Spirit living in us to help us set an example to those who are around us of what Christ-like godliness looks like. And what a sharp contrast to the false teachers whose speech was marked by slander and abusiveness and was rooted in the rejection of God's authority. But the description of the false teachers doesn't end with their corrupt communication. Jude goes on to describe in verses 11 through 13 the corrupt character, their corrupt character of the false teachers. Look at verse 11 again. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Woe to them, says Jude. Warning! Warning! Why? Because they will face the just judgment of God. And like the three examples seen last week in verses 5 through 7, Jude again gives three examples of men the false teachers are like. Here in verse 11, he says, False teachers have walked in the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? I would suggest it's the way of pride. Cain's pride got the better of him. And in his rebellion and unbelief against God, he struck out at his brother and he murdered his brother because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God while his own was not. His pride got the best of him and it turned into murder. Jude also compares false teachers to Balaam's error. Now, we don't have time to dig into this, but when you go back to the Old Testament and discover Balaam's error, the gist of it is you're going to find that he was driven by greed for financial gain. And he was guilty, like false teachers, of leading astray other people in the process. And then Jude brings us, the, uh, brings us to the example of Korah's rebellion. Korah was the the leader of a revolt against Moses and Aaron, and his rebellion was actually against God. Why? Because God had appointed Moses and Aaron. He had given them those, those positions of authority. And so Korah's rebellion was against God. And so what we're hearing from Jude is that the corrupt character of false teachers will often reveal them to be prideful, greedy, and rebellious. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches believers in Jesus Christ to be. We hear this in Paul's warning to Titus in Titus 3 verses 1 and 2. As he leads the church, Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What a contrast to what we're seeing false teachers show themselves as in their rebellious character. Clearly, false teachers are the opposite of what we as believers are supposed to be. But we're not done. Jude continues to describe the corrupt character of the false teachers in verse 12. 
Look at verse 12. Again, I'm going to break it into three parts. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. He describes them as hidden reefs at your love feasts. Now, these love feasts were occasions when the early church would gather and eat together and observe the Lord's Supper together. But these false teachers that Jude warns about are men who were dangerous because they're like hidden rocks beneath the waterline that endanger a ship and its passengers. He says they're hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Without fear of what? Without fear of God. Fear the Lord. Honor the Lord. Give your reverent respect and honor to God's Word. That's how you fear God. Seek to obey God's Word. That's how you fear God. But they weren't doing that. And so they're like hidden rocks beneath the surface of the waterline that endanger a ship, endanger the passengers on that ship. And the next part in verse 12, they're shepherds feeding themselves. They're like shepherds that just feed themselves. Now, what kind of a shepherd does that? Not a very good shepherd. What kind of a shepherd feeds only himself, neglecting the sheep? A selfish and ungodly one. False teachers are also, here's the third part of verse 12, they're also waterless clouds swept along by winds and fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. That is a bleak picture. Contrast all of that with what Jesus offers to all people who believe in him. You see, we're seeing a powerful example of what not to be. But contrast all of that with with what Jesus offers to all people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John fourteen. Uh, John 4 and verse 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ gives life. John 6 and verse 51, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gives life. He does that by giving of himself. He went to the cross and suffered the cruel anguish and suffering and punishment that we deserved in our place. And Jesus gives life. False teachers only lead to rebellion and death. And so true believers bear fruit. And we'll recognize them by the fruit that they bear. These false teachers aren't believers in Jesus, and therefore they have no true spiritual fruit in their lives to observe. Verse 13 concludes this thought on the corrupt character of false teachers with this sobering reminder. Jude says they are wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever that's a reminder of what we heard last week in verses five through seven false teachers are darkened in their understanding in their unbelief And so they rebel against God and they lead others to do the same. And as a result, unless they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus, their doom is sure. Verse 14 
We don't say that with delight, do we? We don't think of the doom of false teachers being something we rejoice in. We ought to grieve over that. And we ought to work as a church and as God's people to lead people to Jesus, into the light, to the truth, so that they will see Jesus and be saved. When I look at a passage like this, I get to the end and I think, so what can I do to guard myself? And maybe you think that too. What can you do to guard yourself? First, from unbelief, and secondly, from false teachers. How do you guard yourself from unbelief? And how do you guard yourself from false teaching? I would ask you this question. Do you know the Word? Do you know God's Word? Do you hunger for it? You need to be a reader of the Bible. And sometimes I hear people say, I just don't like to read very much. Oh, you, you need to learn to read and love reading the Bible. And even if you have struggled to read, there are many ways to get the Bible in. You can get the audio versions of the Bible. What a joy it is to have many translations of the Bible that speak the truth of the Scriptures plainly to us and, and convict our hearts of the, of the things that we need to confess and repent of and follow the Lord in. Do you know the Word? Do you hunger for it? You need more than an hour on Sunday morning. You might come to Sunday school. You need more than those two hours. You might come to Sunday night. You, you actually need more than those three hours. Think of how many hours we spend outside of God's Word, doing other things, following other kinds of teaching, other things that would influence our thinking. You need the Word of God to shape your thinking. You need the Word of God to shape your attitude, your actions, your speech. So, devote yourself to becoming a lifetime reader of the Bible. God has given you a gift in the Bible. Become a lifetime reader. Devote yourself to as long as you can breathe and think that you would read God's Word. And it will transform you word by word. On Sunday evenings, we've been reading through Proverbs as part of our time of worship. Proverbs 8 is wisdom speaking all of proverbs 8 it's like wisdom has something to tell us it's the wisdom that god has given us to live by in his word calling out to us so wisdom speaks from proverbs 8 verse 17 was included in the passage that i read from proverbs 8 last sunday evening and it says this i wisdom i love those who love me you get that Wisdom says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. That's God's word calling out to you to call out to God's word. Are you centering your life on the wisdom of God's word? Are you pursuing it as you would look for a buried treasure? If I gave you a map and told you how much there was to find and gave you a shovel, would you take that and go dig up that treasure? You absolutely would. You'd probably skip the meal after the morning service. Are you pursuing God's word with your whole life? Are you seeking to have your whole life shaped by and transformed by the truth of God's Word? God has given you His Word. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He has put in you, He has poured into you His Spirit. God lives in you to help guard you against false teaching. But you must put the Word in. God uses the Word. Do not neglect the treasure of wisdom that will guard your life. That is God's Word, the Bible. Do not neglect that treasure. It is your first line of defense against against false teaching and false teachers, those who would lead you to be rebellious against God. Oh, guard your life, church, with God's word.